0: So once again, welcome, Uh, Shabbat Shalom, and uh, it's good to have everybody here. Um, Tonight we are going to look at John chapter Um, 3. I guess it's probably the most famous uh, scripture reference in all of the Bible. Uh, All the football games, somebody in the end zone has got a poster written on it and what's written on it. John 3, 16, um, and everybody knows that when you see that, uh, that it has to do with salvation. If you, even if you can't really quote it, uh, everybody knows that that's uh, a Christian out there and it has to do with uh, salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the chapter <clears throat> that uh, has that verse in it. We're really going to look at the whole chapter because, once again, we're going to read our Bible we are going to read it in context. There's some fascinating uh, truths in here. There's a, a fascinating uh, thread, if you will, uh, throughout this whole uh, chapter. I want to start off by just stating this, that um, throughout this chapter, we're going to see, once again, the struggle of men to see who is really in authority, Uh, Is it the Yehudim? We've covered that. That's the religious leaders. It's not just the Jews, but the Jewish religious elite, if you will. Um, Is it John the Baptist or is it Yeshua? Uh, The disciples of John literally argue with the Yehudim over cleansing. Um, Nicodemus, who is part of the Yehudim, comes to Yeshua at night to try to find out who he really is. And Yeshua tries to explain the simple truths from the Scriptures that all of the teachers of Israel should have easily understood and been teaching the people, and yet they could not understand it, and they did not teach it. Uh, once again, I you know, I was the same way, and uh, Susan brought this out where <clears throat> I'm reading it again, and, I, and I've read this many, many times, but this question that Jesus, Yeshua, poses to uh, Nicodemus is actually really fascinating when you sit down and just let it sink in a little bit and think about the ramifications of his question. We'll get to that here in just a second, uh, but I want to read these first two verses for you because it says, uh, there was a man, he was of the Pharisees, his name was, uh, it was Nicodemus or Nicodemon uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, was his name. He was a ruler of the Yehudim. So he's part of this religious elite. Uh, This one came to Yeshua by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God or come from Elohim, for no one is able to do these signs you do if Elohim is not with him. Now, just for starters here, uh, this is Nicodemus that comes to Yeshua and he comes to him at night. Why would he be coming to him at night? Well, uh, we already know, we're kind of really getting ahead of myself a little bit, but <clears throat> Nicodemus is going to come up at least a couple more times. Nicodemus really challenges these Yehudim when they arrest Jesus, and they're like, he's, he literally goes, is it right to arrest a man at night and condemn him without, you know, a proper trial? And they call him out, like, and you're from you're from Galilee also, right? Um and uh, then he also shows up with Joseph and Arimathea when they get the body of Jesus. So he's coming there at night. We know that he's not really, <clears throat> uh, he's not part of the end crowd, if you will, with these Yehudim. Uh, and he's also evidently part of a group of Pharisees. Watch this. He's evidently part of a group, even if it's small, a group of Pharisees that are looking at Yeshua with open eyes and an open mind. Because look at what he says. It says, we know that you are a teacher from God because no one would be able to do these unless God, unless Elohim is really with him. We know, plural. So he's not really connecting himself, I don't believe, with the Yehudim as a whole as much as there's others that did believe in him. Or that believed that at least God was with them. It was pretty hard to argue over some of the things that Jesus was doing. But watch this. Nicodemus. What does that name mean? What does it mean? Nicodemus literally means a ruler or victor of or over the people. So he's like a victor. He's victorious, a ruler over, that's what his name means. He's a ruler over the people, or a ruler among his people. And isn't it interesting that it literally says that. It says his name was Nicodemus, a ruler even among the Yehudim. So he's a teacher among the people. His name also means that he's a ruler or victor, and here he is coming at night. Fascinating, huh? So he comes to him at night and he literally says, um it, the, the whole thing starts off, it's, it's not he doesn't even really start off with a question, does he? Um he literally comes to him and says, Rabbi, you know we, we know that you're from God. I mean no one could do this unless they're from God. Pause. <laughs> So he's kind of complimenting him. He's kind of saying, you know, hey, we know this has got to be from God because God, you know, only God could do some of these things that you're doing. Pause. Um, Yeshua then answers him. Or he gives him he gives a response to this pause. Because G- Jesus knows why he's there. Uh, Zach helped us with that last week when it was like, you know, He didn't turn himself over to the people because he knows what's in the heart of man. He didn't trust himself to them. I'm going to interject one little thing here because that's one of the things that just really bugs the tar out of me with a lot of Christian music. Uh, It comes across as though, um, I don't know, that we're... uh, Inviting Jesus to come down and and do something with us instead of us surrendering our lives over to the king. He's king. He loves us. He's holy. He's God in the flesh. He is not your buddy. (laughs) He can be your friend, lover, redeemer of your soul, but he's not just your clowning around running buddy. We should never forget that he is God Almighty in the flesh in all of his holiness. Um, so he knows everything. And in verse 3, I'm going to read this verses uh, 3 through 6. By the way, I've got that for you in your notes there where you can write down what Nicodemus's name means. I've got a couple of those. And then I've also got some other passages that I didn't give you on purpose so that you'll have to listen and write them down. <laughs> Hopefully we'll learn. In verse 3, verses 3 through 6, it says, Yeshua answered him, said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he is unable to see the reign of Elohim. And Nicodemus said to him, how is a man able to be born when he is old? Is he able to enter into into the womb of his mother a second time to be born? Yeshua answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he is unable to enter into the reign of Elohim. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, here's something actually fascinating. Because when I'm I'm reading this, and I gave it to you again from the Scripture's version, did it sound a little different to you? When he said, uh, Yeshua answered him and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he is unable to see the reign of Elohim. If you've got it in the ESV or almost any other version, English version, it's going to say unless one is born what? Again. Now, what's interesting is that that term in the Greek is very ambiguous. It literally can mean again, but it can also mean from above. Now then. When you read the Scriptures in, in, in context, right, this is going to become, I hope, more apparent why I believe that the Scriptures version, they got it correct when they used the term here from above. The allusions in here in this storyline coming between Nicodemus and Yeshua and then once again between the disciples of John the Baptist and John the Baptist this description of Jesus if you will as the son of man coming from above coming down and going back so he is from above <clears throat> and what it, we already know that Jesus isn't talking about being born again physically but being born what from above We're just so accustomed to hearing it said, being born again. Well, you need to be born again. No, you need to be born from above, from God. We understand that, but once again, these English words get into our psyche. They get into our brain. They work their way down literally into our DNA, and they can trip us up unless we're willing to look for the truth and get broke free from some of that stuff. So I believe they've really got it correct when it says... From above, so that word there is ambiguous. It can mean either again or above. You can jot that down there in your notes if you'd like. Um, but Nicodemus now, now he's really asking this interesting, and he's a- interacting with Christ, and he's asking him this question: He's like, well, how can that be? I mean, and it, this word is ambiguous. So evidently, Nicodemus was a little even confused. He's like." I mean, uh, I'm old. What do you mean born again, born from above? Uh, Am I supposed to try to get into my mother's womb again? This is all an impossibility. I don't understand what you're talking about. So then, the part that just really jumped out at me is, and found in verse 7, this next little section here, verses 7 through 10. Um. Jesus tries to, if you will, start the explanation in verse 6. And he's telling him, he's like, look, you're born born of the flesh, but you have to also be born of the Spirit. I would believe that most of us here are probably pretty familiar with this passage, and we don't find any of this too strange. (laughs) And he goes into explaining, saying that, uh, you know, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit, Uh, that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And we kind of understand that. Nicodemus is sitting here in the midst of this at night trying to wrap his brain around some of these things that Jesus, that Yeshua is saying to him. And I'm, I'm imagining that while Yeshua is saying these things to Nicodemus because he's a teacher of the law, he's a Pharisee, he was a religious leader, teacher, a rabbi, and he comes to Yeshua calling him rabbi, like, I want to talk to you rabbi among rabbi to rabbi kind of thing, Um, and he's, you know, the idea is like, we know you're from God, God's with you, but we're really confused, (laughs) and so then Jesus starts this conversation, and uh, as he's talking to him, you can imagine Nicodemus going, what? You know, you could, his countenance had to, just had this look of confusion and like, what you're, I hear what you're saying, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Anybody ever been there? You know? <laughs> uh, maybe you're the one doing the speaking and you're looking at somebody else looking at you like they don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe someone said something to you and you're like, I don't even know what planet you're on. I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I'm sure that Jesus, Yeshua, not only knew his heart, but he could read it on his face. Because look what he says to him in verse 7. Don't marvel that I said to you, you've got to be born from above. You imagine, he probably had this look like what? What? <laughs> and Jesus, Yeshua, saying, Don't marvel that I said that to you. The spirit breathes, look at this, where it wishes. This is from God. You know, in Ephesians, you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. The very faith that you and I exercise in trusting in Yeshua as our Savior, you didn't drum that up on yourself. So before you get so prideful, like, at least I was smart enough to be a Christian and at least I was smart enough to believe the truth, bunch of idiots out there can't... Folks, they're caught in darkness. We should be overwhelmed with gratitude that God Almighty barged into our world and brought us into his kingdom, had the grace and love enough to give us the faith to even exercise it so we could be saved. We didn't do anything on our own. God came and got us. Amen. Powerful. So he says, look, the spirit breathes where it wishes. Nicodemus, you're not here by accident. You just didn't realize it was a spirit drawing you here. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from, where it's going. so is everyone who is born of the spirit. There's the description. He's like, this spirit, this breath, or the wind blows wherever it wants, but the Spirit of God is the same way. And everyone that has been born of God's Spirit is like that. You don't don't even really realize where it's coming from. You ever walk into a worship service or around other people, and you're just overwhelmed with a sense of the Spirit of God? You're like... This person's been praying today. They're just, you know, dripping with Jesus kind of. Then look at this. This is, this is the verse, actually verse 10, but this is, you know, Nicodemus response to him. He's like, I don't even understand how this is possible. He's still saying, I, I don't get it. And it's like, how, how clear can Je- and does Jesus need to be? He's talking to someone that should understand his Bible, right? Now, watch this. Because Nicodemus goes, I don't understand. How is this possible? And then look at what Yeshua says to him. Yeshua answered and said to him, Are you a teacher in Israel and do not know this? Pause. I'm pausing. We have a tendency to think, John 3.16, that's a New Testament verse. Wow, this is all new stuff. Jesus comes and tells Nicodemus, hey, you got to be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that's a New Testament path. That's a new truth, right? No. <laughs> look at what let's look at it again. What did Yeshua say to him? Rabbi to rabbi. <laughs> Okay, Rabbi, you got to be born again and born of the Spirit, born from above, or you can't see the kingdom of God Almighty. Nicodemus, like, what? Are you talking about physical birth? Clueless, clueless to what Yeshua is saying. Yeshua starts explaining it. You got to be born of the water, you got to be born of the flesh, you got to be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, I'm still not really kind of getting this. Jesus goes, so let me get this straight. You're a teacher, a rabbi that teaches, I'm going to use this term, you teach my people the Bible. You're a trained, you got your sheepskin hanging on the wall. You got your degree from the school of rabbiism. and you don't understand these things? Uh Uh-oh. See, here's the unsaid truth. Nicodemus should have already understood these things, and the Pharisees from the Phariseeism schools, (laughs) okay, if I use that, not true, but... Sounds funny. I thought it was funny. Um, They should have known these truths and they should have already been teaching God's people this stuff. This should have been fundamental understanding of their Old Testament Bible. Everybody should have understood this. But they didn't. That... Is the real travesty in this story. The same thing with, and we have, it's amazing how when I'm teaching and I have interesting conversations before the service that tie into my message, and I don't plan these things. But the travesty of not understanding this stuff in the Old Testament and understanding this being born of the Spirit, they should have understood that the same way today that Christians and Jews alike and everybody seems to be so messed up on the whole purpose of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Clueless. And so the typical Christian response today is there are no sacrifices anymore because Jesus died on the cross, we don't need them anymore. Because that's how they got saved in the Old Testament. Sacrifices. Right here, Jesus is telling them, Nicodemus, you should understand this truth because you're a teacher of your Old Testament. You're a teacher of the, what is called the Tanakh what we call the Old Testament. You should understand these simple truths. I'm going to get ahead of myself here. He goes on and he says, I'm explaining earthly things. If you want me to start explaining heavenly things and you can't get this, there's no way you're going to understand these other deeper truths of the fact that I, I am the one that created you and I'm standing here in a physical body. Wrap your brain around that one. He should have already understood this and he didn't. I want to give you some verses. You're going to have to write these down. Get out your pen. I didn't put them down there on purpose. Isaiah 32, 15, while you're writing them, I'm going to read these. Isaiah 32, 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. He's talking about the the Spirit of God being poured out upon all men. There's a lot. I just got a few here for you. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit. First Samuel 10, verse 6. First Samuel 10, verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. (laughs) Jeremiah 31, 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is where it talks about the New Covenant. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Folks, those are just a few. No one in the Old Testament was ever saved by killing of a sheep, a goat, a ram, a cow, nothing. Nothing. All that did was clean their feet when they walked into God's house. I've said it that way a million times. You should have that by now. It kept God's house clean when we had either touched something sinful, had done something sinful, whatever. It, it was a barrier to keep us from being consumed by God's wrath when we came before God. <clears throat> no one was, was ever saved by that. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it ever describe that. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, it's called the great faith chapter, talks about all these great saints that were saved in the Old Testament. They trusted God and had faith and were saved. All of them listed. Not one time does it say they got saved because they went and killed a sheep. Offered it before God, said some kind of prayer, and God said, okay, hocus pocus, now you can come into my kingdom. No, it said every single one of them trusted in God, and because of their faith, they were saved. In the same way, we trust in God to save us by his grace and mercy. The privilege is we now have hindsight, and we can look back on the cross. They had to look forward, not even knowing how he did it. It was still by faith. See, here's the problem with hindsight. Sometimes we start treating that cross like an idol. That if we worship that thing, if we worship that event, if we stay loyal to that event, if we stay loyal to that and we say, yes, that happened, Oh yeah, I believe that happened. I know it happened. I'm trusting that it happened and because I'm trusting that that happened, woohoo, that means I get to get into the kingdom. No, I don't. It don't mean diddly squat that you believe that it was a historical event. Hopefully I'm going to have time to finish. (laughs) That is not what if the, any of that means? It means trusting in the God of Israel that he became flesh, died on the cross, took away the curse of the law, and now we are faithful to him because he is God. And our lifestyle is a, is a proclamation of the allegiance to that one true God. And he's gonna kind of bring that up. Look at what he says in, I'm going to pick this up in, in uh, verse 11. It's on the next page of your notes. I'm going to keep looking at your notes too, just in case I miss something. <clears throat> verse 11, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and witness what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If you do not believe when I spoke to you about earthly matters, how are you going to believe when I speak to you about heavenly matters? And look at this, and no one has gone up into heaven except he who came down from heaven, the son of man, or the son of Adam. Nicodemus should have understood that term, and he should have understood exactly what Jesus is saying right here. The son of man, in the scriptures version it's called the son of Adam, is Yeshua's most favorite phrase to call himself by in the gospel accounts. He uses this term a lot. Why? Because the, the Jewish people of the day should have understood and made these connections to exactly what that meant. <clears throat> and then look what he, look at how he's packaging all of this. Because he says, you know, I'm trying to talk to you about heavenly things, and I'm explaining it to you in earthly issues, <clears throat> and if you can't get this, there's no way you're going to be able to get the more weighty things there's no way you're going to be able to wrap your brain around it you can't understand this most simple of truths that you have to trust God for the spirit of God to come upon you and for you to fall in love with God more than you love yourself more than you love your status more than you love your country, more than you love your history, that you love God above anything and everything with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way all that's going to happen is if the Spirit of God comes in you. You're totally dependent on God. You can't figure this out. You're going to have a real problem with something called the Trinity, you're going to have a real problem with this thing that's right in front of you that we call today, we call the incarnation, God taking on flesh. And man, when the resurrection happens, that's going to really rattle your world. And what's worse, you're going to expect me to give you the kingdom back as soon as that happens. And when it doesn't happen, that's going to freak you out even more which is exactly what happened. That's why the apostle said, he's about to ascend into heaven. Are you going to give us the kingdom now? Because it is the issue over the Messiah coming and restoring all 12 tribes. The reign of peace and all that stuff, and they expected it to happen. They weren't just looking to get rid of Rome. They were expecting, this is the culmination, what we now would call maybe the millennial kingdom and afterward. They said, is this it? He's like, cool, you jets. (laughs) You, this is what I need you to do. <clears throat> so, um, then look what he said in verse 13. He goes, no one has gone up in heaven except he who came down from heaven. Um, Yeshua is the one that came down from heaven. He telling says, no one's gone up there except the one that's come down. You know, the son of man. And I'm, Right here. Now, why, why would he use that phrase? Well, because it's right out of Daniel. Uh, we'll get there here in just a second, but it's found in, it's found in Daniel. Let, let's go on to this next one here because this is important. Susan started talking about it with our kids. I really appreciate it her insight, bringing some of this stuff out. Verse 14 says, and as Moshe lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You can see him, he's like, I want to talk to you about heavenly things. I want to talk to you about what all I'm doing, what I've been doing, what I'm doing now, what's about to happen. You can't figure out this salvation thing. No one's been up to heaven except the one that came down, the Son of Adam, that's me. Um, But man, now I'm going to tell you something else. Even the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man has to be lifted up. (laughs) You can just imagine Nicodemus' brain is just spinning like, he can't keep up you ever gone somewhere, somebody's teaching, maybe you've been listening to me, and you go, I can't keep up with everything you're saying, Pastor, you know, slow, slow your jets now. I'm gonna just slow down a little bit because I've had people tell me that. I'll, You know, I get all excited about the Bible, and I start talking, and they go, you lost me 10 minutes ago, man. I'm sitting here, I'm still back. I'm, back, well, I'm way back here on base. I'm on first base, and man, you're at the end of the game already, for crying out loud. Uh, can you start all over? <clears throat> you can just imagine Nicodemus is going, okay, I understand the term son of man and coming down and going up and Jacob's ladder. and You can imagine these verses are flying through his head. But I want you to notice something here. I'm having to look at some of my notes so I don't get too off track. Right here, Yeshua is explaining the importance of understanding the figures and types found in the Torah that point to him and his fulfillment of them. All of those seemingly insignificant details now become understandable only through the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. Once again, we have the privilege of looking back. But here's what's sad. Most of us as New Testament believers will go, well, yeah, He had them do that weird thing, and Jesus fulfilled it, and so, yeah, uh, okay. If we could learn to reverse our perspective, which is what I've been trying to help us do now for almost my whole life, but more specifically the last three or so years, to get us to look at the New Testament from the Old Testament so that we can understand the richness of, of what all is going on so that our Bible now makes sense. And he's challenging Nicodemus going, how is it that you're a leader in Israel and you're not teaching my sheep these simple truths? How is that possible? How is it possible that Nicodemus and the others didn't get it? How how is that possible? Haven't you even been like me? You go, as a believer, you go, and he fulfilled all these Truths, and all these prophecies, and how did y'all miss him? The same way we missed the new the old testament. How did that happen? Well, real smart people got in there and started adding to and taking away from the word of God. Then they started making it so difficult, it's like, well, you know what? Before you start teaching, you really need to go to school. And you, you need to get a degree from seminary. And you need to learn how to say God and and all these other things, you know, and get people to walk down the aisle and come to Jesus. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Um, Man started messing with it. The rabbis started messing with it. Then when they started messing with it, they started getting prideful. And then the pride really got them all puffed up. Well, we got away with it for a while. Well, you know what? Maybe we really do have the authority to do that. And then that ultimate power just corrupts ultimately, completely. And even those people that believe they're serving God end up teaching God's people trash. He says... You have to remember now who's talking. This is the importance of reading it in context. So he's not talking to you and me. He's not talking. Yeshua's not talking to us going, yeah, let me show you. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of prophesying for you New Testament believers. You know, I know Nicodemus, he's dumb. He can't figure this out. But you guys are in the New, y'all are in the New Testament. Y'all can figure this out. That is, he's talking to Nicodemus and saying, Nicodemus, understand something. The same way that Moses lifted up the servant, even so the son of Man's going to be lifted up. What? This prophecy and these statements were made, yes, we get to benefit it, benefit from it. But they were made directly to Nicodemus, a teacher of the Old Testament that should have understood because they study the nuances of the letters. And there are some letters in the Torah that are out of place. I don't know if you know that or not. Some of them are really, really large. Some of them are, the vowel pointing is just strange. It's, and they get into the numerology and everything else and just getting down into the finite nuances of the literal letters and what each letter means and the words that can come out of these, these letters and all the hidden meanings and all that's cool. But how can you understand some of that and miss the fundamental basics of what the scriptures are teaching? How? Because you're ripping up the Word of God and putting more importance on some hidden nuance than the simple surface meaning of the words. I used to tell people, look, do you really think that God wrote a Bible and wrote it in such a way that a simple child can't understand it? I'm sorry, but that's an idiotic, moronic statement. If God is God and he does exist and he sent his savior and he inspired people to write a book to explain what he's been doing, what he did with with Yeshua and what he's going to do in the future, he wrote it in such a way that his simple sheep could read it and understand it. All you have to do is actually read it. Just slow down and read it for what it says. But we don't do that. So he's telling him, he says, this is what's supposed to happen, Nicodemus, and you can't get it. That verse I was alluding to earlier, you can write it down now next to this Son of Man, if you want, or, or underneath that section there. <clears throat> it's found in Daniel chapter 7. It's verses 13 and 14. Uh, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Let me read it for you. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. Everyone understood that's talking about Yehovah the Father and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Watch this that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's not in your New Testament. That's out of Daniel. And it's a reference to the Son of Man. I'm going to get way ahead of myself but when Yeshua is being questioned and arrested uh, before the Pharisees, and the high priest is there, he's saying, You tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth that you will see the Son of Man in the clouds coming before you. And the high priest rips his robe, saying, What else do we need? They knew that this passage is talking about God Almighty. This was common knowledge. But they couldn't put the pieces together because they were so corrupted by money and power and these religious leaders, these Yehudim, were literally put there by Rome and the queen of Jerusalem. They made a deal. And everybody got their pockets padded. And everybody looked good and they were able to keep the peace that sound familiar 99% of the garbage you're seeing online is only surface information and they're playing with your head and your heart it's all white noise the one thing that's really important is understanding your bible So this son of man, this son of Adam being lifted up, Nicodemus should have caught this. Verse 15, so that whoever is believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Huh? Right there he's telling him, he says, listen, the son of man is going to be lifted up just like the serpent. Nicodemus knows that story real well, and he's like, okay, and the son of man, that's that Daniel stuff, and it's the... Messiah and you're saying that the son of man's going to be lifted up and Nicodemus could have also been seeing that as going back to the Daniel the Daniel vision and he understood that he could read this as a uh, coronation as king being lifted up coronated as king getting this kingdom and then Yeshua says so that whoever is believing in him would not perish but have everlasting life Then here's where this powerful verse, most quoted verse of all the Bible of all time, for Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only brought forth son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but possess everlasting life. For Elohim did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah, amen. Then look at what he says. He who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe is judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only brought forth Son of God. His judgment's already on him. Because he really doesn't believe in Yeshua. What is all that really describing? What does it really mean? Does it really mean that people don't believe that Jesus lived? Or that he was a prophet or that God was with him or that he did these miracles, that he died on the cross, even rose from the dead. Maybe he had some kind of incantation like off of wizard, uh, you know, some wizardly stuff or something, you know. Uh, Is that what that means? No, what it's saying is somebody confessing with their mouth and believing in their heart and trusting in their heart that God became flesh for a purpose to die on the cross, to take away the curse of the law, so that God could fulfill his prophecies and thus prove that he is God honoring his name. That's what that means. And that those of us that understand that and are in agreement with that are now saying we are going to live our lives in a way to glorify his name. That's why, people, Yeshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's why he said that. And it's why right here he's saying, look, God didn't send me here to judge the world. He sent me here to save the world. What he didn't say was, but I am coming later. I'm going to give everybody a chance to believe in what I'm doing. And it should be simple. This should be kindergarten level. But everybody's made it so complicated that everybody else, they need more signs and wonders and miracles and they got to get their emotions going and they got to feel something and get the goosebumps and everything else. And (sighs) And they got to analyze it, prove it inside and out, this way back, what they don't understand. Man, if God's not calling you, you're never going to get it. That's scary. And sometimes we need to be able to tell people that and say, look, you know what, you 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 need to calm down. Does God exist? Yeah. Did he create everything? Yeah. He loves you. He died on the cross to save you. If you think you're going to really figure all that out, then you must be God. The demons couldn't figure it out. That's why it fooled them, and they killed the king of glory. And it was God's greatest act. If you need more proofs, you're probably never going to get it. Uh, What what more do you need? Because right here it says that the judgment comes because he didn't even believe on the name of the one that he sent. And then look what he says in verse 19. I don't have that in your notes here, but it says, And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than light, for their works were wicked. For everyone who is practicing evil matters hates the light and doesn't come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. Boy, isn't that the truth? Don't really want to talk about the truth because if we really start talking about the truth, then my fallacies will show up. So the one way I can keep us from really talking about the truth is shout louder. And longer, and even scream with all caps on the internet (laughs) instead of just wanting to know the truth. People don't want to know the truth. What we really want to know is that what we already believe is the truth. Saw a guy quote, oh, I know I'd forget, Mark Twain. And it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know to be actually factually truth that isn't. <laughs> Verse 21. But the one doing the truth comes to the light so that his works are clearly seen so that, that they have been wrought in God. What does that say? The person who's got the right heart, he's already doing the truth. He's already doing right. When the truth shows up, he's running to it. Verse twenty-two picks up this absolutely fascinating story here. This is all of this is stuff that he's telling to Nicodemus, and you know what? You know what's really sad about this. That's just how it ends. The conversation just stops. We're not told Nicodemus's response. We're not told if Nicodemus is, uh, you know, he's, oh, you must be the Messiah. There is no understanding of a, a, the continuation on of this conversation with Nicodemus having some kind of redemptive event. We can read into it and think that that probably did happen because of the way Nicodemus does act the rest of his life or the rest of this story and even showing up to help bury Yeshua. He's the one that was carrying 75 pounds of uh, spices to try to prepare Jesus' body uh, at night and trying to get him in the ground quickly. Uh, But we're not told that here. As a matter of fact, it picks up right after that in verse 22. After this... (laughs) there's the event, these powerful statements where Jesus is just pounding Nicodemus. These are fundamental truths. I'm trying to share this with you and you're a teacher of the law and you don't get it and I really would love to teach you these other things that are of a heavenly matter and there's no way you're going to wrap your brain around that. You really need to trust in me for your salvation. I'm going to be lifted up. God doesn't hate you. He loves the whole world. He came that he's sending me that... Uh, He might save the world and not to judge the world. Oh, and after this, this is something else that happened. There's a thread here, though. I believe this is why God had John write it this way. After this, Yeshua and his taught ones came into the land of the Yehuda or Judah, uh, and he remained there with them, and he was immersing. He was baptizing. They were baptizing people. Huh? Yeah. So he goes there, he's preaching the gospel, the disciples are preaching the gospel, preaching repentance, and they're baptizing people. And Yohanan, that's John or Jonathan, John the baptizer, Yohanan, who was also immersing in the Ayin near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and they were coming and they were being immersed, they were being baptized, for uh, Yohanan had not been put in prison. So this is before John the Baptist has been put in prison. So he's still out there ministering, still baptizing people. And look at this. And then a dispute rose between some of Yohanan's taught ones and the Yehudim about cleansing. Well, imagine that. John the Baptist, probably from uh, the Qumran community, he's out there preaching repentance and baptizing them as repented people, and people did a lot of baptizing, the Jewish people did a lot of immersing, it's called a mikvah, and there was a lot of requirements in the Old Testament that they did this kind of stuff a lot. <clears throat> but when John the Baptist shows up and he starts preaching repentance, and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and repent, and they were getting baptized, Jesus shows up, John goes seriously, dude, you should be baptizing me. Jesus goes, no, we need to fulfill all truth and all this, all this. Jesus goes off, he's teaching, all these things are happening. He's having these encounters with the religious leaders, the Yehudim. He goes back to this area. John the Baptist is still in that area with some of his disciples that didn't leave and follow Yeshua. And they're all out there doing this stuff. And then it's got this little statement in here, Then a dispute arose between some of John John the Baptist's disciples and the Yehudim about cleansing. Why would the disciples be arguing with the Pharisees about cleansing? Because they had that under their lock and key, their thumb. That's how they made their money and kept their power. Dictating to the people, you have to do things this way or you're not clean. Even when it didn't say anything at all about that in the scripture, in the Torah. It was in their oral Torah, truths that only they knew and were taught. Hmm. So John, the Baptist disciples are out there having an argument with these same Yehudim about the same things that Yeshua spends the rest of his ministry arguing with them about. I believe it's in Luke. I forget the chapter. I, didn't, I don't know why this is even coming to mind, but <clears throat> there's an editorial comment in there where it says, this is the one everybody knows. Therefore, Jesus declared all foods clean. That whole passage, the whole passage is about this issue of being cleansed according to the rules and laws of the Yehudim. And the disciples and Jesus are walking through a field and they're picking grain and rubbing it and eating it while they walk through the field. And the Pharisees go, you can't do that. It's wrong. You'll become common you can't do that. It's unclean. It's improper. Jesus goes on and starts talking to him and says, I guess you don't understand natural anatomy. You eat food. It goes through the digestive tract, and it goes in the latrine. That's all he says to him. He says, "That's not good. what you're talking about. Washing your hands with a special cup and doing it this way, then doing it that way, and reciting these dumb prayers that you made up that aren't in the Tanakh. You made them up, and doing all these certain things, and that's going to keep you clean so that you can go into the temple. We're just eating grain." You eat grain, you rub the head, you get the stuff off, you get the little nut, the kernel, you eat that, you keep going. It's got nothing to do with sin, cleanliness, or nothing. We're just eating some grain. So when you eat the food, it just goes in the latrine. And then Luke says, thus, Yeshua declared all foods, in the English it says clean, but in the original, the word can be translated as purged. (laughs) <laughs> so then people take that one verse and say, therefore you can eat whatever you want to eat. It's amazing. Goes, and it, the reason that came to my mind was because he's having a dispute with these Yehudim about cleansing and what is proper and what is not. These same Yehudim are arguing with John the Baptist's disciples saying, you can't be doing this. This is not sanctioned. Okay? Come on, man! You're messing everything up. You're getting these real. You're getting these dumb people thinking they get dunked like this. Everything's going to be okay. Well, that's not in our rule book. That's not how things work. <laughs> and the disciples are arguing with them about it. And watch this. It's. That statement is in there so we will understand that the argument is not really even just about the cleansing, but who's really in control here? Who has the authority to declare if someone's clean or not? Is it the Yehudim? Is it the pastor, the preacher, the priest, the pope, the rabbi, your buddy, your friend, or is it God? God. It's God. And in this case, it's God in the flesh. Because right after that one... Is there anything in your Bible by accident? That's all it tells us. One little weird statement. Jesus is out here baptizing. John's disciples are out here baptizing. John's baptizing. All this is going on. John's disciples get into argument with the Yehudim about cleansing. Oh, and then they go and they start talking to John the Baptist about... Yeshua. There's that one little statement. You ever read that? Some, I read some things in your Bible and go, God, why'd you put that? Why do I need to know that? Who cares? Well, because it's pretty important. The, the argument is over who has the authority to declare if somebody's really cleansed or not. So then they come, and in verse 26, as they, said, and they, they came to Yohanan, and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, or Yardan, to whom you have witnessed, see? He's immersing, and all are going to him. He's getting a bigger crowd, preacher. Johanna answered and said to him, no man is able to receive any matter unless it is given to him from heaven. Are you seeing these little nuances about you don't get anything and nothing comes to you? How? Unless God is giving it to you. Even our faith our cleansing, our forgiveness, our salvation, the sacrifice for our sin, all of that doesn't come through anything you do, anything you say, anything you believe. It came from God. Period. All of that other stuff is our reaction to, our response, if you will, to what he's done. And if it's, folks, if it's not based on love, I'm sorry. There's a lot of us that believe in Yeshua that are not going to get into the kingdom. And if you think I'm dreaming that up, I'm not. It's right out of Scriptures. It's in the Gospels. Because Jesus said there's going to be many on the day of judgment that are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great and mighty things in your name? So that's who? Who were saying those things? Christians. Christians. We did great and mighty things in your name. He says, depart from me, those of you who work iniquity. Because I never knew you. They know exactly who he is. They know exactly what it meant to be doing things in his name. They had lived their whole lives doing that, working, they thought, in the kingdom. And Jesus' response is, yeah, but I didn't know you. Sorry. You're not getting in. Might have looked good while you are on earth but I didn't know you. Uh, So he says, you can't receive anything unless it comes from heaven. Then he goes, you yourselves are witnesses for me that I said, I'm not the Messiah. I already told you guys this. I'm not the Messiah. It ain't about me you see this? John the Baptist is out there teaching repentance and baptism of repentance. These same disciples are arguing with the Yehudim about cleansing. They turn right around, hey John, hey, there's this other guy, he's getting a bigger crowd. So are they really that different from the Yehudim? No. And John the Baptist is even trying to tell his own disciples, I already told you I'm not the Messiah. None of us get anything unless it comes from heaven. Who came from heaven? The greatest gift, the Messiah. Verse 29. He that has the bride is the bridegroom. We are the what? The bride. We're not the bridegroom. He's the one that did the asking. <laughs> but the friend of the bridegroom who stands in hearing him rejoices greatly because of the voice of the bridegroom. So this joy of mine is complete. He's like, there's this marriage is going on here, and I'm just the one that's shouting that he really is him. And I see him speaking, and I'm rejoicing because I see what's happening. And you look at this, verse 30. It is right for him to, to increase and for me to decrease. Then look at this. He who comes from above is over all. So now now John the Baptist is here prophesying, tying in directly with what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus, that Yeshua came from above. He is the Son of Man that talked about in Daniel, and he came down from heaven. He who comes from above is over all. He who is from the earth is of the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is over all. Now look at this. And what he has seen and heard that he witnesses and no one receives his witness. So what's he saying? The very things that Yeshua saw in heaven, the very things that he heard in heaven, the very things that he was participating in heaven, these are the things that he's testifying of, and no one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear it. Why is? How is it possible that no one really wanted to hear it? They were way too comfortable in the traditions and belief systems that they already had. They'd heard it for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're like, man, this is, no, I don't, mm, no, that can't be right. Really? No. No. How many of us here can say the same things when when we started learning that the Torah still applied to our lives, and we go, no, man, that that can't be right. Right? And we would would go, what? I probably got it worse than any of you here because I fought it for about 17 years. Teetering back and forth and back and forth, and I go, there's something there, but that can't be. I had good people teach me something different than that. I used to stand here and also say, man, if somebody comes and tells you a new teaching, you better go, that's a big red flag. (laughs) Like the the church could be wrong for 2,000 years? (laughs) Really? These are good, godly people. Uh, Before the Reformation, was the Catholic Church wrong on some pretty important things for a long time? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we we could get some things wrong, and then look at what he says here. Now, this is what I really wanted you to see is in verse thirty-three. So you might want to highlight that or circle around it or something. Here it says, "He who receives his witness." Who's he talking about there? He's talking about the Messiah. He's prophesying and talking about the Messiah. He's talking to his disciples about the Messiah, about Yeshua as the son of man that came down from heaven. He who receives his witness has set his seal that Elohim is true. So that stuff I was saying earlier, see, I'm not making this stuff up. It's clearly in Scripture. This is clearly what it says here. This is saying that when we proclaim that Yeshua is the Messiah and sent from Elohim as Elohim in the flesh, we are declaring that Yahovah is true to his word. We are not simply saying, yes, I want to get saved. (laughs) The emphasis is not and should not be upon us, but upon him and his word. Here John the Baptist says that clearly. He says most explicitly that when you receive the testimony of Yeshua, that what you're doing is you are setting your seal down that Yahovah himself is true to his word. That's what you're saying. That God said he would send his son, that he would send the Messiah, and that he would bring salvation. That he would restore the tribes, and that he, through that process, he would bring all of humanity Underneath his reign and rule and salvation. Who put that in my Bible? Has that always been there? Did we lose a sound or something? No? Okay. I thought maybe something went wrong. Um, We are setting our seal that God himself, Elohim, Yahweh, is true and he's true to his word. For he whom Elohim has sent speaks the words of Elohim, for Elohim does not give the Spirit by measure, for the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son possesses everlasting life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of Elohim remains on him. Who does that sound like? Yeshua just said it when he was talking to Nicodemus. Now, the close of this chapter, John didn't write it in chapters like this, but the close of this section here, you've got John the Baptist trying to explain to his own disciples, I am not the Messiah, for crying out loud. You just got through arguing with the Yehudim about cleansing, and quite honestly, you're not any different than them. Why? Why? because you're trying to set me above the Messiah. And how are you gauging it? By the size of the crowd. (laughs) And what you're not understanding is that he is from above. He came to bring salvation. And it's only those that trust in him that are going to be saved. And those that don't believe in him if we believe in him and we're saying by our testimony and our witness is that God is true to his word, right? That's what it said in the scripture. If that is the positive side, then what's the negative? Uh Uh-oh, right? Because if you're not saying that Yeshua is the Messiah, then what you're saying is that God is not true to his word. Then what you're truly saying is that God isn't God. And then maybe there's multiple gods. Maybe Satan's not all that bad after all. Maybe there are other ways to the other world. And on and on and on. You see, you're either proclaiming that God is God and He's done what He's done and that He loves us, or you're saying that God, well, He ain't God. There is no in between. None whatsoever. So see, folks, this is why in understanding your Bible, this easy believism and just simply saying, oh, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he died for me, so I'm going to get in. I got my free ticket. No, because if you don't truly love God with all your heart, it doesn't matter what you say you believe with your mind. It just doesn't matter. Because what is it that God is most concerned about? What, what is it that he's doing here? What is it? that Yeshua accomplished when he came. We get so focused on just the cross, then we end up idolizing an event or even a thing. We'll put crosses on our neck. We'll put crosses on our car. We'll do all this stuff because we actually think it's going to give us a aura. You know, God's going to send bigger angels, you know, and bless the garbage that we're involved in. Treating him like a Ouija board. And so we'll, we'll worship this thing and think that maybe if you stand up here behind this thing, then, I don't know, there's more holiness here. Really. It is so ridiculous. That's why just simply believing in that kind of stuff without understanding, if we don't love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves, and if God's word isn't really written on our heart, and it's not just something that you want to do, you want want to do it, then there's something wrong. Folks, when you see a need, when no one's looking, you should want to take care of that and not be seen. And you shouldn't want to talk about it doesn't matter because it's just what you would do if you were a loving, kind, good, godly person. Because God is, God is love. And if the love of God is truly in us, then we would love one another. We wouldn't be judging and condemning and backbiting and tearing each other apart. We would be loving and kind and forgiving. And we would be wanting to help people, watch this, when no one knows. No one looking. I'm old enough to remember parking my car to go to school in downtown Dallas with quarter meters. It's been, it's been so long since so they have used one of those meters, if they even exist like that anymore. But we would have to put in quarter meters. There was nothing that would warn you on your phone or nothing. You're out there like going, okay, so if I put this in now, and I get it at three, that's three hours and 15 minutes. I got to be back here, right? And we would go from school, <clears throat> which was in part of the First Baptist Church facilities down there, this was back in the glory days before they had their campus. And then we'd have to go across the street and go over to First Baptist Dallas into the sanctuary to have chapel twice a week. And I remember, uh, you know, cars parked all over the place, you know, with meters. There's one of the other preacher boys, we were all, you know, walking to chapel and walking back. And I looked up one day and this guy was walking by and he was putting quarters in these meters. And I happened to be walking behind him, and I said, what are you doing? He turned around and went, man. I said, is that even legal? (laughs) Actually, it's not. And he goes, well, I didn't really want anybody seeing me do that. I said, what? And he goes, well, I just lost my blessing. That was in about 83. Tell you how long ago that was. I can still picture it in my mind. Walking behind him, going, I think he's putting quarters in there. I said, hey, what are you doing? I was just curious. And then to see him turn around and the, the look in his face like, nuts. Because he thought he was just being real discreet, he just kind of stuck it in there, you know, and did that. And passed one or two and he'd stick one in there and, and do that. And I just happened to, because everybody's talking, not paying any attention, you know? And the, the look on his face of like, oh, nuts. I'm like, well, what? And he goes, well, I just, Scripture says you're not supposed to be showing this stuff, and I, I was trying to do it where no one could see me, but, you know, at least I kept him from getting a ticket. Um, folks, that's the kind of heart we should have. And it could be as simple as a quarter. Sorry about that, officer. <laughs> It could be as simple as a quarter, or you know, just trying to help somebody in their day. Or they left their trash can out and the lid's open, and it's rain's coming. Or, or, whatever it is that's going on, and just, just do something to help, and don't ask, folks. That's what should be in our heart. That's why Jesus said, "If you, if those that are doing the truth, they have that heart. When the light comes, they run to it like that. I want this." I want this to clean me up even more because I'm a wretched person. Because those of us, when you understand this and you're really trying to do right, you understand it was a quarter. Oh yeah, it was a quarter. Nobody saw me two weeks ago. Idiot. What a Bozo. Remember that the rest of my life. What a knucklehead. Oh, but they saw the quarter, right? What I'm saying is, when when you're trying to do right, you understand, you also understand your sinfulness. You understand, I mean, that, that was a quarter. Okay, yeah, I prayed today. I wasn't praying back there, and I wasn't doing it when I did this, and I wasn't doing it when that divorce happened, and I wasn't doing it when this idiotic stuff was happening, and when my family did this, and that's how I responded. Oh, well, yeah, that was a real good godly example there wasn't it those are the kind of things those of us that really love God that we're striving for we remember those things and why because it keeps us humble and reminds us we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. it is a free gift of God because I was a scumbag and God came and saved me didn't deserve it at all Even I was a teenager, not looking for God, clowning around at camp, not kidding you, playing poker in the back of the auditorium, laughing, cutting up as about 14 years old, had a girl come up to us, me and this other kid, weeping in tears because we've been been praying for you. And I'm looking at this girl going, what's wrong with you? We're We're just doing our thing. I mean, no big deal. It wasn't you, but Kathy Kennedy asked me to come sit with her. Good looking, long blonde hair. Yeah, sure. So I actually listened to the first sermon that night because I, you know, didn't want to act like a jerk in front of the girl I'm trying to impress, you know, and he preached on the verse that got me saved. James 2.19, you believe that God is one you do well, but the demons also believe that, and shudder. And it was like the preacher was preaching right at me. And at the end of that message, I, before they even started singing, I was almost running down there to talk to my youth minister slash choir minister, Don Blackley. I knew him. I had been in church. I was there with the church group. And I said, Don, I just found out I don't know Jesus, and I'm going straight to hell. Somebody talk to me. And I went in the back room and got counseled by some lady, don't remember who it was, don't remember her name or nothing, but I asked Christ to be my Savior that day, and my life has never been the same. But I don't look at my life as this Rosy, perfect, Godly, holy life. I have so many mistakes, not funny. but I do know this: God loves me, He moved into my life as a teenager. He's never left me or forsaken me. And I know this: Yeshua is the king of kings, Lord of Lords, God of all gods, the creator of this world, and he became flesh and died to take away the cross, to take away the curse of the uh, the law on the cross so that I could be remarried to him and grafted into his beautiful love story that he's doing with this people called Israel that he's not through with and that through this whole thing, he's going to show himself up as glory that I'm the one who keeps my word. And when I say I'm going to do it, it's done. And anybody that says I can't do it They are speaking the very spirit of my enemy. Because I declared by my own existence that I will accomplish these things. And do most, it's an absolute mystery. Just believe that I said I will do it, I did it, and I'm going to continue to reveal myself as the one true God. And those of us that love him and are committed to him, we're to live our lives in such a way that it's a declaration of who he is. Not anything about our own glory or righteousness or goodness. Because I'm going to say it Texan. I ain't got none. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned this to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. Everything else I know is nothing but filthy rags. And, folks, that's all I know. That for some crazy reason, the God of all gods came down to a teenager and said, I want you. And then, to make it even worse, he asked me to tell people about him. You wouldn't even believe me if I told you I was shy. Even as a teenager, I couldn't get up and talk in front of people. Went through high school, had drama. I got to be the only person that could pass a D.I.S.D. school on drama and never give one speech. I found a way to do more extra credit in anything else because I'd get up in front of people and freeze. Nothing come out. Now you can't shut me up. Because I know that my God is incredible. And that he loves you, each and every person in this room. And he came to give you an abundant life. That doesn't mean gold. It means to be able to walk with the king. And see miracles to walk with the creator of the universe and change lives, starting with yours.